Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Mindset Podcast, where we believe that in order to grow a successful business, you need just two things, the right marketing strategies and the right mindset. I am your host, Maria Bentz, and I am the founder of MBM Agency, a digital marketing company who helps service-based businesses grow their revenue using online strategies. And I am here to share with you all of my tips and pointers every single week when it comes to digital marketing and business growth. Today's episode is sponsored by our premium Wix templates. If you're totally stumped on how to build your own website, but can't afford to hire a designer, that does not mean that you should skip out on the important things in the process like professional design, sales formula copywriting, and search engine optimization. Our premium Wix website templates are created with marketing and sales in mind. And the best part is that you can have a professional looking and functional website in just under 24 hours. Our website templates are completely stress-free. They're easy to use, so that means no Photoshop or coding required. They are designed to convert based on our signature homepage formula, and they are ready to launch as soon as you are done designing. So if you want to check this out, get it at mbmagency.com forward slash shop and use the discount code mindset to get 30% off. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today I have Sam Vander Whelan with me today. Sam is an attorney turned entrepreneur and legal educator who helps coaches and service providers legally protect and grow their online brands through her legal templates and her signature program, the Fearlessly Legal Ultimate Bundle. Sam lives in Philadelphia with her husband, Ryan, lots of plans and her ever-growing stack of favorite books. If you've always associated attorneys with words like shark, intense, and cutthroat, you're in for a down-to-earth breath of legal fresh air from Sam. So welcome to the podcast, Sam. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Mariah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I am super excited to have you because I feel like when people get started in their businesses, at least this is my experience and talking to other people, they, I feel like, don't really think about the legal stuff until they're kind of halfway in or a few months in, a year in, and they like encounter something where they really need legal help. Yeah. <laughs> so they either, they either do that or they know about it and shove it under the rug and hope that it never comes knocking on their door. <laughs> yeah. Or like they Google yeah. it, which I'll admit in the beginning, I yeah. definitely Googled or yeah, but I'm excited to chat with you today to kind of get like the basics and what people need. But before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, tell me about your legal journey. And I'm curious about your entrepreneurial journey as well. And kind of how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I um, actually went straight from undergrad straight through to law school. I never really thought about why I was becoming an attorney. I just did. And um, I hated it from day one. Um, So it was literally like when the first or second day of work, I just remember being like, having this horrible sinking feeling set in of like, what did I do? And for so long, I was 23 when I graduated from law school and became an attorney. And 
I took the bar in two states and, and like had just been like hustling, hustling, hustling to like just complete this thing. And then I think when I started working as an attorney, it was the first time I slowed down enough and didn't have all of these distractions of like studying for exams and studying for the bar and like doing all of the things that I just was like, oh man, this was not, not what I thought, not what I wanted to do. Like, I don't even know why I did this. <laughs> and I really spent the next like five years as an attorney um, working as a corporate litigator. So I was in court all the time, arguing before judges. Like I got thrills from the wins. Like that was really fun. I'm a very competitive person, like sports mm -hmm. person. And so it was really cool to, you know, be in a courtroom and like win a big bad motion, especially against like an old white guy usually. So that was <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> and so that part was fun. But um, the rest of it, I was really like, I, it was probably the darkest time period in my life where I just had completely like assumed this victim identity too of like this happened to me. I was basically sentenced to a life as an attorney. And I just went around complaining all of the time about being an attorney, about how many hours we worked, about how terrible everybody was. Like I, I hated it. And I got to this point, and a lot of people have told me they, they felt similarly when they left their job finally. I got to this point where like, I couldn't even stand the, the like hearing myself talk anymore. Like wow. I would hear the complaining coming out of my mouth and be like, oh my God, you're so annoying. Like it just wouldn't stop, you know? And, and it, it's a very, um, the culture of like being an attorney, the proverbial like water cooler talk is a very like, it's everyone's just complaining. It's an environment uh. of complaining. And so it was um, not helping the situation. And it, I had always loved food and health and wellness. And so I, I mostly love to cook. I still like, that's what I spend most of my time doing. So I started a little like food blog. I was just telling a client about this before we got on. I started a little food blog while I was still at the firm called Barrister's Beat. And I started teaching people how to cook. And um, I went on a trip to Amsterdam with my husband, Ryan. And when we were flying home, there was a really scary incident on the plane where the plane hit a really rough patch of turbulence it kind of dropped really hard and rolled to the left really hard and everything went flying all over the place. And it was a really terrifying experience. And I had a moment of clarity in all honesty in, in that moment after the tears stopped, I had the clearest moment where I was just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? You can do whatever you want to do. This didn't happen to you. you. You have a choice and you're acting like you don't. And it was like the slap across the face I needed from myself to wake up. And within three days of that plane ride, I registered an LLC. I bought a domain. I started getting my website made. And I actually left the law to become a health coach um, mm, within, over wow. the next several months. And so I became a health coach and left the firm. I transitioned out of the law and did all of that stuff. And health coaching was like, fine. It wasn't my thing. I, I was really happy to be talking about something else and, and working on something non-law related, but it wasn't my thing. Um, but what did happen was that so many women, more women than um, people reaching out for like health services were reaching out to say, hey, what's the deal with an LLC? And like, what do I need to know about a contract? Because I saw you used to be a lawyer. And I'm mm -hmm. like, that's not what I do. Like, I didn't, I'm not talking about that, you know? So um, it, it obviously just started to become a thing that I wasn't even trying to do. I got curious with the idea, just stayed open to it. I listened to them. I answered their questions. Obviously, this was all for free at this point. And about a year after I had started the health coaching business, I decided to give it a go. And I shut down the health coaching business. I created these legal templates 
and three years later, here we are, <laughs> and I haven't looked back. <laughs> that is so awesome. Wow, I had like goosebumps when you were talking about that plane ride. I, I like can't even imagine going through something like that, but it's interesting how you say that you were complaining, complaining, and you didn't have a choice, or you felt like you didn't have a choice mm. because you went to school, um, you know, or sorry, you said you had a choice, but you went to school, you went through all these years studying, and I don't know what you are on the Enneagram. Are you a three? I'm a six, like a six, a, six. a two okay. and a four or something like this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All Never mind. But I was like thinking, cause like I'm a three and I'm always like thinking about, but for me, that would feel like I'm the type of personality that's like, I went to school. I have to prove people that I'm going to do this. Like I, I didn't just waste all these years. Right. But it was so interesting. Cause I feel like so many people go through this where they start a job or they start a career or they're in it for a few years, 10 years, and they find themselves not liking it. And I know so many people who just, you know, do their daily thing without even thinking about it, even though they're not happy. But for some reason, people just feel like they can't do anything about it. And that's something that I talk a lot about my podcast is like, if you really want something, you can do it if you just start and you take the steps. So I'm curious, kind of, what kind of mindset struggles did you have when you first start decided like, okay, I'm going to quit law. I'm going to start this. Like, I'm sure there was some sort of like, what am I doing? Is this going to be able to pay for, you know, like a full-time job? Like what were your mindset struggles and how did you get over it? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I, one off the bat that I will just completely admit to having in the beginning was coming from this like very professional, very like cutthroat environment of being an attorney. And like you said, you know, working for a lot of years and spending a lot of student loan money on trying to become a lawyer. I struggled with the idea of letting go of that identity. And I realized that I had, even though I didn't like it, it was still my identity, right? It was always like Sam lawyer, Sam lawyer, mm -hmm, right? It was like, mm -hmm. those were synonymous. And so I, I've struggled with two things. One being judged of like, people were going to be like, wait, you left being a lawyer for a health coach. And I got a lot of those comments. So that didn't help. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of lawyers would be like, what's wrong with you? Like you're willing to just walk away from this to become that, you know, and they yeah. all thought I was a yoga teacher, which was just hilarious, <laughs> um, but just kind of showed like how much they didn't know. Um, so that was really hard. And then also I felt, I used to tell my friends that, it felt like I had stepped out into the middle of a field naked and like I was on a mic, like I was standing there with a microphone because I felt so exposed and like I had no clothing to put on because I had no idea who I was. I was just Sam the lawyer, Sam who always was just studying and working really hard and being really anxious to pass the bar, or pass the exam or pass the whatever. And that's all I had ever thought about. And now I had this like quiet time and we were supposed to run our businesses on social media where you're supposed to like have a personality and talk about these things. And I was like, I don't even know. I don't have hobbies. That wasn't like a thing. I, I was just billing a million hours a day as a lawyer. So that was really tough. I would say all of that related to kind of like learning who I was at the same time. And the other part of it, which I'm sure people can relate to is that I remember very distinctly and it's so funny because now she's my friend. Um, but when I became a health coach, I was like, I wonder, I knew nothing about this world. So I was like, I wonder if anyone else does this in Philadelphia, like being so naive and stupid at that time that I didn't realize there were so many people doing it. So I typed in like Philly health coach or Philadelphia health coach. And there was actually 
one of my friends, Jess Baumgartner, who is her, her uh, Instagram handle at that time was Philly health coach. Mm. And I remember finding Jess and being like, that's it. There's no room for me. It's all over. There's a person in Philadelphia <laughs> already doing this, a city of 5 million people, you know? And so I was like, that's it. And then I started seeing all these other people online. I was like, forget it. There's no room for me. So there were really a lot of mindset obstacles at that point of just being so new to this world, you know, learning that there was more than enough for all of us, but also that there were, this was totally normal. And then I'd say too, from that, just the mindset issue of like not having to build businesses that look like everyone else's, like being confident to do something authentic to me, um, maybe even being bold to like be different and all of that was definitely a big part of the learning curve in the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like I love that how you touched on that because I know my podcast has a variety of listeners, um, a lot of newbies as well. And I think as new business owners, no matter what industry you're in, that is such a common thing of like looking at other people in the industry. And I know I've had that feeling too of like, oh, but there's already people doing this. Mm -hmm. So it's, I love how you touched on that. Um, Now kind of going into the legal stuff. I'm curious, what is the most common mistake that you see entrepreneurs make when it comes to legal in their business? I would say that the most common mistake is that, okay, twofold. So one is that you think that because you see somebody else doing or not doing something, it makes it okay. Kind of like the two ranks don't make a right argument. So a lot of times people will look for what I call confirmation bias of like, well, she's doing it without a contract or she doesn't have this or she doesn't have that. And she's appearing successful. Therefore it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one thing. And like, just because somebody doesn't have it like that, that would never be a, a valid excuse. That's, one reason why I'm really glad that I have so much litigation experience because I can confidently tell you that like you would never be able to stand before a judge and say like, but this other girl online didn't have a contract. Like no one will care. The point is yeah. that you didn't do it and that's all that matters. So that that is one big one. And the other is that I would just overall say waiting too long, right? Like um, waiting too long uh, to register your business because you've um, heard about some sort of like myth about how much money you need to make or how many clients you need waiting too long to get a legit contract because there's no rhyme or reason like your first client can be an issue or end up being an issue just like your 20th client so why why wait until you're you know, I've heard it all like I'm waiting until I have 20 clients to get a contract why you know there can be an issue with all these other ones yeah. so I think it's just a lot of the waiting issues as well oh the waiting that makes sense mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people too like I know remember when I first started when you don't know like Mm-hmm. it sounds scary or it seems scary I think than it really is like I feel like we kind of make things up in our heads <laughs> yeah yeah and when you yeah that's what I always say like when you don't know what you don't know you like you're saying you kind of just start inserting things and so people have bought into all these different things about like LLCs and when you should actually get one and what it means and all this stuff and I'm like if you actually knew what it took and how you got taxed as an LLC, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's it. That's how simple it is. And I get taxed the same way. Wow. Okay. No, no problem. So it's actually, I think in, in reality, it's actually a lot simpler. And I try to approach this and hopefully you know this, like I try to approach these things in a sc- like less scary way. Cause I just don't think it needs to be that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about what contracts and policies do you think entrepreneurs must have in their business and why? 
Yeah, sure. So when you're, so if you're just starting out, um, whatever your main offer, your, if you have like one or two offers or something to start out, whether it's a service or some sort of program or something like that, what I always recommend is like writing down a little list of all the different ways that I could pay you money. So if, mm. if you have like an ebook that's for sale and then you have like a group program and then you have your one-to-one -one services or you're doing like web design stuff and downloadable digital products or something like that write down whatever you're doing and then you just need a contract for each one of those things so a lot of people will get caught up in like thinking they need everything at once but really to start out you just need whatever you're actually offering right now mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. in terms of contracts as your business grows you know i have so many women inside my ultimate bundle who one of the things that attracts them to it is that they yes you need all these client contracts but then as your business grows that's when we start um, considering stuff like an affiliate contract and mm. an independent contractor contract so we can hire other people, stuff like that. So you can just kind of tackle where you're at right now. That's okay. Or if you're someone who's scaling quickly, it's also okay to get all of the things that you need. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the contracts that people need. And then the website policies that they need are the three website policies. So it's privacy policy, website disclaimer, and terms and conditions. So that's what everybody okay. needs on their website. Okay. And then I have a question because you mentioned like, you know, you have a service product, you have this, if you're selling like a downloadable online, you need another contract. So I have a, I'm like thinking for myself, like we have contracts for all of our service based things, but we started like a little template shop, right? Where people can buy more of like digital products. So what does a contract look like for that? Do they need to sign it as they're buying it or how does that process look like? So if you sell digital downloadable products, that's just like a template or like a customized or a, a, like a non-customized logo, kind of like a preset logo kind of thing, or like a little PDF or something like this, where it's not like they're not going into like a group program. They're not going to be like calls or something. They're not going to a Facebook community. It's just like a downloadable mm -hmm. product. Then you can actually use your terms of view or terms and conditions. Sorry that uh that the one that's your website policy okay. as long as it has the proper elements to it that are needed to check out like it has to talk about payments and returns and refunds and sharing the content and like if it has all of these elements to it a good attorney drafted terms and conditions document will have that so you can use that at checkout and you use that with like a checkbox mm. so it has to be unchecked so that the person has to actively check it the term like when it says i have read and agreed to the terms and conditions the term terms and conditions has to be like a clickable link or if you have the ability to have somebody have to scroll through it like that would be great there are all different kinds of like tech tools that you can use um but for those kinds of products that's when we can rely on our website policy the terms and conditions um if you were selling a, um, a course uh, for example on your um, website or like a membership Mm -hmm. where it's going to be more like ongoing, maybe a payment plan, recurring payments, recurring content, you know, more and more stuff. Then I recommend the terms of use contract. That's just what I okay. call it. Everybody calls it something a little bit different, but what, at least in my like domain, my template shop, it's terms of use contract. And that is very similar, but it addresses all these issues. Like I was talking about like recurring payments, recharging somebody's card um, without contacting them every single time chargeback threats, like all that kind of stuff. So that's essentially how you handle the checkout process. Okay. That makes sense. I feel like I was like overcomplicated in my, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, now that you mentioned, I'm like, I see that all the time, like check the checkbox. Like, yeah, 
Okay, that makes yeah, sense. And like, again, to your point, everyone, I feel like just makes it so much more complicated <laughs> than yeah. it really is. It's okay. It is, co- it is complicated stuff, but really the point is to have something. Now, a common question I usually get after this, though, is that then people will be like, okay, so for my one-to-one services or any like service-driven work that I do with clients, like I don't want to have to send a contract back and forth. Can I just have them check off a box? And I always say with that stuff, so you, the, the hope and the goal is always to have someone physically sign a contract instead of checking the box mm-hmm. because it's more enforceable, right? You okay. will have a better time enforcing a contract that someone has to e-sign or if we were in person, then real sign. Um, you'll always have an easier time enforcing that than you will the checkbox. Every yeah. state in America has different rules about what the person has to have done or read or how much time they had to review terms and conditions. It's like oh, all wow. of this crazy legal mumbo jumbo. So anytime that we can get someone to sign something, again, the contract has to be legit and it has to be signed properly. It has to be sent properly and all of that. But that's always the goal. So when we're dealing with more, like if I was a web designer and I was selling like a $10,000 package for my web services, I would most certainly have them sign something. I only use the checkbox thing when it's something a bit more innocuous and it's not like those don't tend to be the relationships that like lead to legal problems, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the one-to-one yeah. bigger ticket services, group programs, those do. And so that's where we want to have people physically sign. That makes sense. And I do mm-hmm. for our contracts, especially for our one-to-one services, I like have them sign e-sign and then I have them like initial during each section yeah. <laughs> just in case. Um, but I definitely need to add something for our terms and conditions for our download. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. to put that on my list because for some reason I didn't even think about that, but that makes so much sense. Um, what about, and you've kind of touched on this in the beginning, um, but when someone is just starting out, say they are just starting out as a freelancer, but they're trying to, you know, kind of scale it, what contracts do they need or what do they need to legally protect their business when they're just starting out? What are the you know, give us a couple of check boxes that they can write down and kind of go down, down the line. Yeah. So there are three things. So one is that I would register your business first and foremost, that you actually are a business. And so that you register the right way so that you actually get any sort of personal liability protection. So if you register as a sole proprietor, for example, you do not get any personal liability protection. So you are not separated at all as a person from your business. So if something goes awry with a client or a customer, or you get sued, or there's like a debtor liability of the company, you're personally responsible for it if you're a sole proprietor. So if you go down the LLC route and you actually act like an LLC online, which is what I spend a lot of my time teaching everybody, then you can get that personal liability protection where you're now separated from the business and the business's problems are not necessarily your personal problems, which means your personal um, stuff cannot be touched. So like Mm -hmm. your home, a bank account, a car, any Mm -hmm. property, whatever that you have. So that's first things first to me is I don't care if you've never worked with anyone, if you're just getting ready, you're building things out. That is the first thing that I do because like that is very, very important. The second thing that I do is get business insurance because okay. um, now if you do get sued, even if you've even if you've gone down the LLC route and you've personally separated yourself now from the business, your business would still have to pay the legal bills if you got sued, right? So you don't want to do that. And, and that's very, very expensive. I can tell you that. Um, so by having business insurance, you make it so that if you're sued for something that's covered, 
by your business insurance policy, then they provide you with an attorney and they pay that attorney's fees. Mm. So that's huge. And then if yeah. there's a, uh, a judgment found against the business or something like that, your business insurance pays for it minus your deductible, just like any other kind of insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's really important because as whether you're a new business or a seasoned business, I don't know pretty much anyone who could financially sustain a lawsuit. It, it is way too expensive. So it would be like, you know, if you took that first step that we talked about and you registered your business properly and you've now separated yourself, your business would still collapse from the financial weight of a lawsuit. So that yeah. is the, the best way to protect yourself financially. So that's step one and two, and then three are the contracts that we just talked about, because now you essentially want proof um, that you've talked about what you've talked about, that you've promised what you've promised and not promised what you didn't and all of that kind of stuff. And it also establishes you, for example, if you have an LLC, your contract would be between your LLC and the client. Okay. And that way, if the client ever sued you, you would be putting yourself in a better position to only allow them to sue your business and not you. So a contract is like a nice, neat way to not only provide all that written proof of like the terms that you guys talked about and the amount and the amount of work, but also this LLC issue as well. That makes sense. So a couple of questions jumping off of that. So when you say acting as an LLC online, what does that mean? Yeah. So if you become an LLC, a lot of people make this very, very tragic mistake it, you cannot just like register your business as an LLC and then move on with your life and like never pretend like you have one. So it's for one, it's actually using your business name, right? Your LLC name. If you want to go by something that's really different, like if you've registered your LLC as like something very corporate sounding, like the example I always give is like Target's actual registered name is Target Brands, Inc period. Mm, and mm. so they have a DBA as Target because nobody would want to go to Target if it said Target brands <laughs> inside of the building because it would yeah. be very boring. So um, that's like a really good way you want to make sure if you're, if you're going around being known as something different than your LLC name, then you want to register your DBA name. Okay. It's also known as a fictitious name, a trade name, doing business as name mm -hmm. in your state. Um, so that's one thing, having your contracts um, between your LLC and the clients using that LLC name, signing your contracts on behalf of your business and not as your personal name. So it should mm. always say after your name in parentheses on behalf of your business mm. name. Um, another thing is keeping not only clean financial records, but keeping separate financials. So if you don't want to be treated um, personally as personally responsible for your business's stuff, then you cannot commingle your personal and business money. So a lot of people will say to me like, oh, I'm, but I'm really good at it. You know, I keep really good track and I, I go through and I flag what was personal and what's not. And it's like, no, it's kind of like a, you can't have a cake and eat it too kind of thing because you can't say I want to be separate from my business, but I'm going to commingle all my personal money. Mm -hmm. So they want to see that nice and clean and you have to be able to provide those clean financial records too. Yeah, that makes sense. And then kind of another question going off of what you were talking about. So business insurance. I feel like that's something a lot of people are, especially if they're starting out kind of scared. Cause I feel like when people are starting out, this is what I've heard. And I was like this too. I was very tight with my money. Right. So any extra expenses is like, I don't know about this. So how much does, and I'm sure it ranges, but how much does business insurance kind of typically start out? What are average prices? And I'm sure it depends on probably how much you have under your insurance, but mm -hmm. just so people can kind of have a good idea. Yeah. So it, of course, like you said, it depends on what you do. Cause like 
a web designer, for example, runs a lot less risk than a health coach who's giving out advice and information that can hurt someone's health, right? So they, just like any insurance, are running things on risk. And they also look at what your revenue is, like how much work you're doing, what medium, like are you doing it in person? Or do you have like a studio where people come in person? Or do you have, um, like you're doing everything online? So there are all kinds of factors. Um, And if I didn't say it already, they also take a look at your revenue. And then, um, so I would say like people have shared with me that I feel like when I was a coach, maybe my, my um, annual premium for um, my health coaching business insurance was like $400 maybe. Um, And then when I started this business, it was a lot, it was like maybe $800 when I started because I had bet very little on myself in terms of revenue. And so, which is my MO. And so (laughs) as the business grows, you know, that, that changes. Um, So I would say like most of my clients have shared that they've gotten policies anywhere from like 300 to a thousand dollars per year, depending on what they're doing. And again, all those other factors that we talked about. Okay, cool. For a year. Okay. That's good. That's good to, to know. Um, Usually they'll let you break it up into a few payments too, just okay. so people know for like budgeting sake. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, so kind of to wrap up the interview, how can people work with you in 2020? Oh yeah. So I would love that. So I help people in two ways. I offer all of my legal templates like contracts and website policies a la carte in my template shop. So they're instant downloadable products um, that you can buy on my website and they all come with a how to video tutorial where I walk you through how to fill it out and translate what they really mean in plain English. And then I have my ultimate bundle program, which packages 10 of those DIY legal templates, like all of the contracts and website policies that you need now and for when you scale your business. Plus you get instant access to 23 on-demand video trainings where I teach you everything from how to form your business properly, to work with clients online, to run a group program, a course, um, or one-to-one services, and how to protect your content using trademarks and copyrights. Nice. That is so, so important. And we'll leave your links down in our podcast show notes. Um, But to kind of end it off, where can people connect with you online? I would love for everybody to connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Sam Vanderweelen on Instagram. Um, Please come and say hi. Send me a DM. Let me know that you met me here. Um, And I usually post um, like daily trainings on legal topics and trying to keep up to date with what's going on in the online entrepreneurship space. And I have IGTV videos for you there as well that dive deeper into a lot of the topics we talked about today. Yeah. And I definitely recommend checking her out. Sam also has a lot of great highlights on her Instagram that I've gone through before and just like look through whenever I had like random questions. So I love how easy you make it seem and very comprehensible because I feel like when people think lawyers, it's like, oh my gosh, all these words that we can't understand. Yeah. I try. Well, I've almost been out of it now as long as I was in it. So oh, how funny. <laughs> I'm deprogramming my brain, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. I had so much fun learning more. Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and leave us a review with your main takeaways from this episode. But thanks again for joining me today and I will catch you next time on the Marketing Mindset Podcast.